1: It's Radio Row Week, it's Super Bowl Week, and of course, the, this week culminates in the granddaddy of them all, that's a different thing, in the biggest game in the NFL, it's the Chiefs, it's the Niners to talk about it all. We head out to the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline and welcome on Sean Merriman.
2: And Sean joins us courtesy of Bet Online. Check out Bet Online for the most diverse list of over 1,000 Super Bowl prop bets, including MVP, length of the national anthem, close to 100 Taylor Swift related props, first song Usher plays, broadcast odds, game and player stats, and much more.
1: Sean, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, what's up, my man? How you doing? Well, we're doing well here. We uh, we got the NFL honors this week. We're a little antsy in the pantsy. Four browns up for those AP awards, those yearly awards. And I'll, I'll start here, man, because you are the uh, edge rusher extraordinaire. Uh, NFL honors announced this week. Is Miles Garrett the rightful defensive player of the year?
3: I, I think so. But I, what it's going to come down to, man, to be honest, is it, team record, right? Yeah. Um, and you know t- overall team stuff, and, that, and, that, it's, and that's unfortunate, right? Because he had a a ridiculously ridiculous year, um, and you know especially early on. I know he's kind of starting to phase now a little bit towards the end, man. But I think he had a great year. He's deserving of it. But man, they they look at so many things outside of the individual aspect of it that it's going to be it's going to be hard to watch.
1: Of every great edge rusher we got two Boses. we got miles we got tj watt i really like alex highsmith tj Watt's running mate i don't think alex gets enough cred but like micah parsons if you could if you could you could just steal one of them in a delorean and take them back to the heyday 2007 2008 who would you most want to play with out of the elite edge rushers in the nfl right now
3: that that's a that's a tough question um because i can only look up and see miles garrett on the other side of me and who- who knows what how to block that or how to scheme against that? I don't think you can. Um, Nick Bose is great, man. This that's a teasing. Oh God! do the only, the only thing I would say that's about Michael Parsons is that he's going to require a lot of attention, right? He's so explosive, you can move him around in so many different areas. But then, then again, we've seen Miles Garrett this year rush right down the center and guard, right? I mean, so it's it's tough, man. But I, I would I would probably go with I would probably go with Micah.
1: Yeah, the problem right now with me, with Micah, is he made a joke about Cleveland at the Pro Bowl this week. So as great as he is, he is now dead to me until he undoes that uh, that injustice. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Browns' offense, Sean, and, you know, what do the Browns need this? What what becomes their number one need? And I've been screaming from the hilltops, I've, I want the Browns to finally have a guy that can come in here for the next two to three years and give them a... If it's not elite, whatever that first level under elite, edge rusher, pass rusher, you know defensive tackle, edge rusher, whatever, to to Miles, because he's had guys for a season, and then the second season they were here, they didn't live up to it. So I'm just curious, like, how important for Miles specifically, when you were an edge rusher as well, like, how important is it to have another guy up front that can consistently get to the quarterback, you know, 10 sacks kind of a season kind of guy?
3: If, if I didn't have a you know a Sean Phillips and Jamal Williams, Luis Castillo, I, we had guys who could get after the pass rush. So we knew every week they were going to come out and double-team me. We all had an understanding of that. But when you got guys that can win on the one-on-one across from you, it changes the landscape, right, because they ha- they're good enough to, to make that play. And so it's so important. I had Sean Phillips, man, Sean Phillips on the other side of me, who also had double-digit sack years and so forth, man. And um, that's what Miles needs because we know every every week they're going to come out and they're going to key on him. They're going to make that playbook, make sure that Miles Garrett is nowhere close to the football. That's why they started had to rush him down the center and guard this year because he was uh, requiring so much attention. But he needs a, a D tackle, right, who can play a wide three or a tight five and let him rush off the edge on the opposite side of him so they can't slide protection, they can't chip off the edge or fan or anything like that, but
2: he needs that.
1: Sean Merriman on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline,
2: and Sean joins us courtesy of Bet Online.
1: Sean, I can't figure something out from this year with the Browns, and it wasn't consistent. Uh, you know, early in the season, it reared its head late in the season, and it certainly reared its head in the the playoff game against the Texans. Um, this road, this the road defense was not as ferocious or consistent as it was at at home. At home, it was a number one defense, truly by the numbers, number one defense on the road. It was maybe like a number 13 defense, number 14 defense. And it kind of caught up with them in the playoffs. I'm curious, like what's, what's the theory on a defense that is elite. I mean, the best of the best in a loaded NFL at home. And then you go on the road and you are maybe, you know, one of the 15 best defenses in the NFL instead. Is there, is that something that's quantifiable?
3: Well, I, I'll tell you this, man. They're making appropriate steps to bringing the right people. Uh, Jock Cazaire, who they just brought in as a D-line coach, was my teammate. I played with Jock Cazaire. He He's going to establish a mentality up front for those guys. Um, and then we always preach that we're the road warriors. We called ourselves road warriors, right, because we knew we were everybody going we gonna to play well at home. That's just a gimme. But when you go on the road, it's when you have to be that road warrior, that mentality of going into someone's home. Right, but sit sitting on their couch, putting your feet up on their table. You have to have that mentality when you go into somebody else's place. It just seemed to me that um, that they they just started slow. They're a little bit sluggish when they're on the road. They did the mentality change, like they didn't have the crowd behind you. And as a defensive player, you want to take the crowd out of it. That's the that's the fun about playing defense in general. It's going to someone else's home, getting a big sack, big play, turnover and then having that crowd quiet. And that they, they have to establish that mentality, but they did a great job by bringing in my former team that I played with, and Jock man. He's going he's gonna to do some good there.
1: We love to hear that. Sean Merriman on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. And, Sean, um, when it comes to uh, your, your home team, the team you built your career with, the L.A. Chargers, they just hired a, a guy we know here uh, from his time up north in Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. Thoughts on that hire, man?
3: I thought it was the uh, the best move they could have made. And quite frankly, it's the only move, right? Because they were getting so much media pressure, fan pressure. Uh, I, I thought that that was the correct way to make a jump from the hire they just hadn't Brandon Staley. And this is not a shot at Brandon Staley at all, but we also seen towards the end of his tenure that he just wasn't ready to be a head coach. He just wasn't. Um, so this is a drastic change in what was there before. Uh, you see this newfound excitement through the fans and people can't wait to go to the games and what's going to happen and, you know, uh Hobbrook's famous quotes and thing. You know, just there's a lot of excitement around the organization right now. And they've been missing that the last couple years. So uh it's gonna be interesting. But they've loaded that staff up them to, to to make a run with that talent they have on that team this year.
1: All right. It is uh Super Bowl fifty eight later this week in Las Vegas. Um I just where are you leaning early on here?
3: Look, I think um you know obviously being in the in a division I will always be a Chiefs hater, right? I think that that part of me will always be but you can't knock how great they are, and they haven't, they're haven't. they not the same team as they once were. They're not the same team they were last year. They're not as dominant. They found a different way to win and get back there again. So it's hard to go against them. I'm, I'm going Chiefs. Um, you know, my, my heart is telling me to go with the 49ers, but my brain is saying, you know what, these guys don't know how to lose, right? Uh, they do all the, all the right things. They don't make mistakes like the Ravens did towards that game. and taunting and penalties. They're not doing any of that, so they they don't they know how to win in big games, and you know it's up to the 49ers to see if Brock Purdy can push them through. But I'm going with the Chiefs, man. It's hard to go against those guys.
1: This is the first Super Bowl in Vegas. You think this is a good idea for the NFL?
3: Well, other than the weather being crappy here, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's a great idea. A lot of people are going to go home with you know have to uh, you know sell their mortgage, their house, and stuff like that if they sit at these tables too long. But um, I think for the city, man, so much is coming here to to Vegas. So much, so many things going on. I think it's become the entertainment capital of the world, practically. Um, so yeah, I think I think that they got a little taste of it with the draft. They got a lot of the taste with the F one and some of the other bigger events. So it's it's right for a Super Bowl to be here.
1: I gotta know what's the latest with Lights Out, your uh, your fight promotion there, Bud? Yeah, we we got a huge event coming up February sixteenth, just a week after the Super Bowl at
3: Long Beach, California. We'll be live on Football TV, Football Sports. Um, this is our biggest and most explosive car we've had in the history of the company. We're, in fact, we're seventy percent sold out. you know, being a couple of weeks out from the fight, which is crazy because we normally don't sell out to the week of. Uh, so it's it. This is awesome, man. But uh lightside extreme fight, fourteenth February sixteenth, live on Football TV, Football Sports.
1: All right. Uh, outside of Jim Harbaugh, real quick, who is your favorite head coaching hire this cycle? Uh,
3: my favorite head coach hire is the one that didn't get hired. Actually, it is, is Mike Vrabel. That I mean. You know, it's a lot of a lot of really good coaches I get. Um, a lot of we're going to find out with with uh, with with Seattle coming. You know, coming from the Ravens, um, I I'd like some D coordinator Zach Orr moving up from uh, you know linebacker's coach and de- did a D coordinator job with the Ravens. Uh, but man, my my favorite is the one that didn't get hired. It's it's Mike Vrabel. I I don't understand that. I don't understand how he's still on the street. Didn't, you know, nothing against all the other coaches got hired, but man, that's that's. Um, Pretty, uh, pretty interesting. He's still on the street right now,
1: Sean. You got to look up Diana Rossini's uh, report on why Mike didn't get hired. You're going to laugh as hard as I did, Sean. Be well, buddy. I know you got to go. We appreciate you.
2: You got it. Thanks for having me. And Sean joins us, courtesy of Bet Online.
1: Sean Merriman, there. A little bit of Cavs news, by the way. Two things going on out there. One, there is a uh, a report by Michael Scotto, NBA reporter, saying Isaac Okoro is a name to watch. At the uh, trade deadline, um, I think I think this might be a little late in the the rotation for that. I think Isaac's got a pretty important role right now, but that's one thing to pay attention to. And then uh, a Woj three-point bomb, uh, as Woj tweeted out here in the last 15 minutes, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers all-star guard Donovan Mitchell plans to participate in the three-point contest on Saturday night in Indianapolis, sources tell ESPN. Um... I love this. I just I got to be honest with you. I think we're all in agreement. Uh, the Elam ending has made the game more interesting. It's still, it's still a game that nobody plays enough defense to make it interesting in. And it's just never – you're never going to incentivize these players to make the All-Star game worth it. There's a lot of events around the All-Star weekend that make me roll my eyes. Um, I don't know if they're bringing back the fashion show, but the fashion show is – One of the things that makes me roll my eyes, uh, the three-point contest is still the GOAT. The dunk competition has its years here and there, but of all the competitions, I actually do like the the rookies versus the second-year players. I do like that game. But when it comes to just pound-for-pound almost every year, must-watch TV... The three-point contest is it. So the idea that Donovan, who two years ago, everybody was still, when the Cavs traded for him, I don't think he shoots threes well enough. The idea that he's changed the perception about him him enough, where now he's part of the three-point uh, contest, I think that's really cool. So if you missed it over the weekend, Donovan, three-point shots, and also shots at the face of Zach Collins. I want to get into the the fight that was this weekend in a bit. But are we getting greedy with the Cavaliers? I'm just asking. I'm just asking a question. doesn't mean we are. I think you guys know um, I like other opinions, especially ones I hadn't previous thought of. I like things that challenge my perception. But with Joel Embiid getting hurt over the weekend, it it brings back a, a conversation. Uh, sorry, he got hurt late last week, and then it, it came down in the last 24 hours that he needs knee surgery. It is, it is uncertain whether he'll be back this year. And so you're kind of seeing, it. when he was on the court, you were seeing a free fall from the 76ers. And the Bucks have struggled. Um, Doc Rivers has not made an immediate change or impact for the positive in Milwaukee. And now the Cavs are in the third spot in the Eastern Conference. And I will say just kudos to them because the, hottest t- the perception is the hottest team in the NBA is the New York Knicks. Because they made the big sexy trade getting Ananobi, OG Ananobi from Toronto. Um and they're the team that gets talked more about than the Cavs cuz they play in New York and I I do think like the Knicks are like the the little engine that could but never does. I think there's I think there are people who knowing that the Knicks have won two championships in franchise history and it's been about 50 years since their last one. I can understand why people root for the Knicks beyond they, they're just in and when I say people I mean the media has interest in that storyline. But I thought it was interesting that the Knicks, the alleged hottest team in the Eastern Conference, they lost this weekend. Cavs get the win over San Antonio, and all of a sudden the Cavs are the third seed in the Eastern Conference. So when I say are we getting greedy? The Embiid conversation, moving to three in the Eastern Conference, where I uh, even the Bucks thing, where I, I I see. And by the way, you're now a half a half game uh, uh, behind the Milwaukee Bucks. I want to make sure we point that out. Where I think we might be getting greedy is people who a top four finish is like now the expectation. And and I think, I I actually think this sets up really well for them to be a top four seed again. But like, I, just in kind of reading the tea leaves after the game, after the Knicks loss was, well, the Cavs, I mean, why, why can't they be the number one seed? And it'd be really cool if they were. But like, is my I do care about the seeding, and the seeding does matter. Like the once you get beyond a top four seed, the reason it matters is what happens in the second round of the playoffs. So the difference between between being the two seed and the the four seed is significant. The problem is I still have doubts about the team going into the playoffs. So I mean, yeah, hypothetically, man, it'd be really cool if the Cavs were the two seed or, hell, if they made a run at Boston and got the one seed, and that means that in every every potential round, you'd be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. That'd be really cool. But aren't we all just waiting to see if the Cavs can do something in the playoffs? Because, I, you know, I, I was accused last week when I was talking about different things going on with the Cavs. I was accused of having PTSD from the playoffs last year. You don't like guys. The Cavs had home court advantage. Guys, the, the Cavs had Donovan Mitchell, the best player in the series. The Cavs had a fair amount of advantages just built in. Now they did have a, a some some uh, weakness on the roster in the lack of three point shooting. They did have um, they, they do have those those difficult issues between your guards and some of the overlap in their skills and their bigs. And it was apparent that the the Cavs weren't ready for the playoffs last year. But, like, at this point, it's not that I won't get excited about a one or a two or a three or a four seed. It's just any time that I say, oh, man, the Cavs locked in this, I'll be thinking in the back of my head, what are they going to do with it? So, like, if you said, well, do you really want the two seed? Yeah, hypothetically I do. But am I a little afraid that the same thing is going to happen this year? Like, am am I a little afraid? And I think the Cavs are better positioned than they were last year. I think their roster is deeper. But, like, the questions that remain for the Cavs are still potent. It is, can you win if Evan Mobley isn't your second or first best player? Like, can you make a deep playoff run if Evan isn't a... You know, maybe your best player, second best player. I don't know. I really don't. Can you win if your guards are your best players? I don't know. Can J.B. Bickerstaff put you in a position to win? I'm probably most skeptical of that than I am anything else. So it'd be really cool if the Cavs got a number one seed. And it'd be really cool if they got a two seed. Or if they just finished better, in a better spot than they were last year, simply because, guys, this year... The Eastern Conference is a much more difficult conference. And you got teams where, man, if you can avoid the Knicks' first round, that team's also better than last year. If you can avoid um, Indianapolis, that first round, and they might have some of the problems you had. Like they're, they're going to be a first time playoff team with Halliburton and Siakam and all these guys. But like that pace of play is going to be tough for you to sustain. If you could avoid Milwaukee or Boston in that first round, that'd be great. But no matter who the, the Cavs could have the the you know the the easiest piece of cake in that first round series, and my doubts are still going to be more. Can they prove to us that they belong in the playoffs? Can they? And I'm I'm not trying to steal a, a parlance from the morning show, but can they flip the switch when when it's necessary? Because they look like a playoff team in January. They looked like a playoff team in March. They looked like a playoff team in April until April went from regular season April to the postseason. 216 474 0092. So I just, there's a part of me that worries when we start to go, oh, they could get the two seed. They could. They could. It's a possibility. But I don't know there's anything they can show me in the regular season. That is going to make me feel certain. The end result in the postseason is different. Well, yeah, they're going to be deeper guys that got pushed around in the playoffs. They don't have somebody that's going to stop them from getting pushed around. Well, okay, but but you know maybe they can do more to tr- they can try more things. Okay, well your head coach loves to try things in January, and the sphincter tightens when you get late in the season. And like I mean, I thought what was it when was it the night that Darius came back? that Sam Merrill got seven minutes, or was that the night that Evan came back? What I think a- it was
2: the night that uh, Darius...
1: Okay, so when Darius comes back, Sam got seven minutes and was a non-factor. Now, the next two games, you got to see more of Sam, and I think he I think he gave you double-digit performances in both games. But, like, talent matters, yeah. So do... How do you fit together? So do your culture. And you, you need guys that have been there before. Donovan's been there before, but hasn't been to a conference championship round. You know, like, Jarrett has been there before, but he had been there before last year and it didn't matter. So, like, I I get it if you're focused on a top four seed or a top two seed. You're not wrong. It's just there's nothing that can happen before mid-April that's going to make me think, okay this team is ready to win a win a f-
2: we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's
1: over here. only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch First round series until they win a first round series the opportunity for the Cavs Joel Embiid could be done for the year although it is uncertain if he will be the Bucks continue to uh, flounder here as they lost this last uh, their last game the, the Cavs are now a half game off the Bucks, which would if the Cavs were to win tonight and the Bucks were to lose their next game the Cavs would be the two seed in the Eastern Conference and oh by the way Miami has been a massive disappointment this year. They traded for Terry Rozier, that has not made a difference as of yet. I have more takes on Miami than I than I care to admit right now, but the point is it there there is there's an element of the Eastern Conference that is it's as tough as it's been, but you also have a couple teams that were used to running the east taking a step back. And so for teams like the Cavs, for teams like the Knicks, for teams like the Pacers, for teams like the Magic, that's an opportunity to take a step forward. And, you know, last year you took a step forward in, in an Eastern conference that was a little bit weaker than we thought it was going to be. And then you went to the playoffs and got embarrassed. And as much as we'd like to put last year in the rearview mirror, it's still a valid conversation. Because a lot of the guys who lost that series, it's not that you lost. It's in a lot of those games you didn't score enough offense. You might have taken care of that this last offseason. But you got pushed around, your bigs got pushed around, and your guards disappeared on any given game. And your head coach is maybe your biggest question mark. So I'm a little split on whether this year is going to be different or not. I'm hopeful. I'm actually enjoying what they're doing right now. I mean, Donovan is just – Donovan's just kind of got everything going for him and just everything seems to be working and clicking for him. And I actually think Donovan's proving – you know, we've had the conversation can Donovan be the best player on a championship team? If Donovan continues to pass the way he is the way he does and shoot the way he has, I know he's not I know he's an undersized guard and that's always going to be a conversation point, but like guys, he's kind of doing things people said he couldn't do. And and I think Donovan from the the point spot is particularly lethal even if that's not his spot in Cleveland as of right now. But 2164740092. The simplest way to ask this is are you convinced this year will go differently for the Cavs? Because every time I want to get excited about a two-seed, but every time I just think back to last year and and how things went and and it really was a disaster to be the four-seed, have home court advantage, and get run out of the gym for those five nights. Keith, I know you've been burning on this one. What you got, bud?
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say. I know they've won thirteen or fourteen. It's just really hard for me. No matter how much regular season success you have, mm-hmm. knowing that you haven't had your, your be- the better part of your roster for most of the season, I just I feel like I need to see more. And then even when I see more, I feel like I'm gonna need to see more than that. Like yeah. in the playoffs, I f- I feel like I'm not going to necessarily 100 percent buy in until I actually see it happen in the playoffs.
1: I, I just i I think you're probably on the right side of this. Like I I I I kind of feel like I'm in the middle, and I'm not riding the fence on this. Like, because I I am I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical they can do this, and I'm a little concerned because if you have another early round exit in the playoffs where you're embarrassed, not only is the whole conversation about Donovan's future is that assigning an extension when he can this offseason, not only is that a moot point. I mean, what's to say Donovan just doesn't come out and go, man, it's been two years here. We we haven't really made any headway and I'm out. I, I don't think you can put it past that. Them's the That's the stakes. The stakes feel higher this year in the postseason than they do last year. Yeah,
2: that's what I was going to say. The other part of it as a fan is are you sitting here thinking, even if they win a playoff series, it doesn't mean anything guaranteed towards the future with Donovan? Yeah. So, like, you could experience suc- this success this year, have a playoff win, and. In the back of your head, you're thinking, okay, but what does this mean for him? Like- well,
1: it almost feels—I like, don't want to say an audition, but it does feel like the Cavs are still auditioning for Donovan. And specifically, like the guys that are auditioning him would be auditioning for him in the playoffs are JB Bickerstaff. Uh, I think Darius to some degree. I think Evan. I think Jared's just a good veteran. Like I, I don't, I don't know that Donovan could have any problems with with Jarrett, other than he kind of disappeared in the playoffs last year. But, like, Jarrett's Jarrett. Jarrett's probably the sec- the guy that Donovan can trust the most of the veterans in the starting lineup. But, like, yeah, I-, I think everybody, all the other key figures for the Cavs are auditioning for the Cavs and Donovan if Donovan says, hey, man, I love it here, I'd love to sign that extension, but I need more help around me. Because if Donovan says that, the paradigm internally – Completely shifts for the Cavaliers. There's like I've even seen it with Cavs fans. Cavs fans who two years ago said they wouldn't trade Darius for Donovan, and now people say there's the, some of those same people are saying, uh, "You need to trade Darius so you can maximize Donovan." That's I mean that's pr- a pretty stark difference from where we were two years ago. And I think even the narrative on on like Evan versus Jared is evened out more than it was. Let's go with Chad. Welcome to the show, Chad.
2: Hey, thanks. Yeah, I think it scares the hell out of me is is our our X's and O's from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, I mean, there's just no leadership. And he's still figuring out these lineups, and I get that we've had injuries, but to see Dean Wade play 20 minutes a game and go zero points every single game makes no sense when you got a LaVert or you got Merrill sitting on the bench getting seven minutes. He still hasn't figured out a lineup. And when you watch this team during the timeouts – Look at the opposite bench and look at those those players surrounded around their coach and then look at our players around the coach that we have. You don't have the leadership there, and that scares me, and Thibodeau's going to eat his lunch again in the playoffs.
1: Chad, I think a lot of what you're saying, uh, those are fair concerns, and I think of you call. Um, right now is when I want JB to be trying all that stuff out. Like I, the one point that I'll disagree with you. Listen, I still have like my playoff concerns whether JB's going to run a deep enough bench. And for me, the rotation stuff not just about, you know, has he tried enough lineups in the regular season? It's how quickly you have to cycle through them. Cuz on any given night, like the I, I listen, I know he I think he's in Washington now. Who's the ba- who's the backup forward that we were all going crazy for? Uh, the wing player that that we were like, "Why hasn't he gone to him by game 4?" That You can tell how great of a player he was. He's a 3-and-D player. I didn't know he's in Boston. He's in Boston. Lamar Stevens. Lamar Stevens. So it wasn't really about Lamar Stevens. It's about you don't know in that in that moment what's going to spark for you. And the whole point of of lineups and having tried every lineup in the regular season is so you can go, I don't know that this is going to work, but here's the reason why I do think it's going to work, and we're going to give this a, a, a three-minute stretch here in the first round of the playoffs to see if we can count on this rotation in this matchup for this reason. And he has been, he being J.B. bickerstaff has been way too beholden to, now i got a seven-man rotation. This year, that can't be. You you are 10 deep this year. If you make a trade at the deadline, you might be 11 deep this year, depending on what they do. I think the biggest concern, the thing I don't think is changing, is the out-of-timeout out actions. I think JB is really bad at drawing up plays and using the right um, out of timeout actions. I just I think that and that that will kill you in the playoffs. Maybe not in the first round, maybe not in the second round, but when you get into a spot where the other coach is really good at that, JB will get exposed. And I don't think you just suddenly get better than that. You either hire somebody to do it for you, hire an X's and O's guy, hire somebody who is specializes in kind of game management situations or you just lose that way in the playoffs. Real quick, Jeff, welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, first time, long time. Ah, well, appreciate it, buddy. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, quick question. I'm not the biggest basketball fan, but, you know, we're talking about last year's series with the Knicks, but didn't the Knicks handle us in the regular season? So what made us think, going into the postseason, we'd be able to move past them?
1: I mean, I understand the point. I will say, like, um, it's such... even if you could play the Knicks the final game of the regular season, and then play them in the first game of the postseason, and they're going to be completely different games. And and maybe that's an extreme case, but like if your last game against the Knicks was game sixty three, and thank you for the call there, Jeff, and maybe farting into the microphone. I don't know what that was, but uh, but no, we appreciate the call, bud. But I just think it's a completely different game. Like Back when we would play the the Warriors for the last time, and you'd play them in, like, March, and granted, you weren't seeing them to the NBA Finals, the games and the teams are completely different teams. So I get the point, but, like, plenty of teams, I mean, as a matter of fact, the Cavs actually had a lot of regular season success against upper the upper seeds in the East. They probably would have gotten smoked by the Bucks last year in the playoffs, although they got smoked. They'd probably been smoked by the, the Heat as well.